0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and those who don't identify as either, you are listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. Yo. You know, this is our final episode for the year. Like, after this, I go on hiatus. It's reruns from here on out. And it's, like, good reruns, but reruns nonetheless. I had a really great episode planned. Bebby's back. I wanted to talk to her about her new gig, As an actress on Harlem, on Amazon, I was so tickled when she popped up on my screen. Bevy's been on a couple times before and she always delivers, you know, Bevy's brand of advice. Bevelations, lessons from a mother, auntie, bestie. Bevy always comes through with a good word. So I wanted to close out our episodes for the year with a good word from the Bevy. We had a great conversation. I'm very eager to share it with you, but I would be remiss... To record this episode right now and not talk about the really big news story that broke not earlier today. I'm recording this on Friday at 3.20 in the morning. I'm up finishing up some work trying to tie up a bunch of loose ends so I don't have to do any work when I'm in Ghana. So I can just enjoy the country as much as I can. When I go over there, I'm trying to lock down my living situation for when I move. I have a bunch of places that I need to see. So it's not just purely a vacation trip. But I don't want to do no work work. While I'm over there, so I'm up late working um, and I just got around to doing the podcast. I think a lot of stuff we can put on the back burner. This one, not so much. I feel like this is all I've been talking about for like the last two weeks Sex in the City, the new Sex in the City, quote unquote, and just like that. I'm not calling it that, but I feel like ever since that show dropped last Thursday, it's just sort of consumed not my life, but at least my podcast. Sex in the City is a juggernaut, it is what it is. You know, the first time we talked about it, it was like, oh my God, they killed Kenny. But no, they killed Mr. Big in the first fucking episode. And everyone like lost their goddamn minds over it, which rightfully so. We talked about how this character has been a part of our lives for like 20 some odd years. And people had very visceral reactions to, you know, bringing this show back only to kill this man off. Like we waited forever for him to act right with Carrie. And we only got like really one episode of him acting right. And then he did. So there was that, and then there was Peloton. You know, he died in the show right after he got off a Peloton bike. Peloton stopped tank because of that, which is crazy that that happened, but it did. So the Peloton team over the weekend, last weekend, 48 hours, they pulled together a commercial that featured Mr. Big and the Peloton instructor. He just finished her class and then he died. But they got the Peloton instructor from the show, who's a Peloton instructor in real life, by the way. But they got the woman from the show, and they got Chris Noth. They put together a whole commercial and released it within 48 hours. So it came out on Sunday. And then on Thursday, the new episode of Sex and the City came out at midnight. I waited up to watch it. They didn't load it till 1220, and I was pissed. It's a great episode. I have many thoughts, many thoughts. I wanted to post about it Thursday. I said, let me give myself 24 hours just to let people, you know, get a chance to see the show. I understand, you know, folks got other things to do and do not, you know, have the free time to obsess about TV shows in the way that I do. I'm blessed. It also pays my bills to know these things. So I said I was going to recap the show on Friday, but Thursday, a story broke on The Hollywood Reporter. Chris Noth has been accused of sexual assault by two different women who don't know each other, whose stories are frighteningly the same. And The Hollywood Reporter, being the respectable publication that it is, my good friend, and Moody, is actually the EIC over there. Two women have accused Chris Noth of, of sexual assault. And I read the story on Hollywood Reporter. I'm going to tell you about some of it here. I'm giving you a trigger warning in advance. When I say sexual assault, like, I don't mean he grabbed a boob like the disgraced former governor of New York. No, this man was full out raping folks, allegedly. Have to say allegedly because I ain't trying to get sued, but allegedly. These incidents, there's one from, I think, 2004 and another one from 2015. And the women do have receipts of sorts. One of them has text messages from that time that that indicate, like, something off happened. And they also told people what happened to them at the time. And the Hollywood Reporter went and spoke to those people as well to verify these women's stories. The women said that they came forward because you know, Sex and the City came back and, you know, Chris Noth was everywhere and people were praising him as this, you know, ultimate hero, this off, this alpha male. People were, you know, having these, uh, like I said, visceral reactions to this character's death because they were so invested in him. They were like, really? He's, he's a predator. He's a rapist. Like, really? So they reached out to the Hollywood Reporter. Two separate women, again, don't know each other separately with very similar stories. To credit, Chris Noth does deny these accusations the the Hollywood Reporter again being the respected publication that they are they did reach out to Chris Knoth to get a statement and he said quote the accusations against me made by individuals I met years even decades ago are categorically false these stories could have been from 30 years ago or 30 days ago no always means no that is a line I did not cross these encounters were consensual It's difficult not to question the timing of these stories coming out. I don't know for certain why they are surfacing now, but I do know this. I did not assault these women. You know, folks always make a big deal about, you know, the timing, the timing, the timing. It seems when somebody gets really popular, people come forth with stories. Yeah, that they use opportune timing doesn't make the story any less true. Like you being highly relevant and all in the news, it has a greater impact. When nobody's interested in you and nobody's talking about you, it's not front page news. When you have a big project coming out and they're all eyes on you, that's the opportune time to, to speak up because people are interested in, in this person in this moment. That's the way your story gets more traction. I don't think timing for things like this is, is necessarily a bad thing. I think, if, I think it's strategic to make sure that if you want to be heard, that you will be. I think it's worth noting that Christopher Noth has been in a relationship with the mother of his children for a very long time, now wife. So both of these incidents, even the one stemming back to 2004, they were together then. So he's saying that, you know, I had these consensual relationships. I mean, a lot of people don't care about infidelity. I mean, infidelity is, you know, an ungood thing, but it certainly doesn't rise to the level of rape. But I I, I imagine that the conversations in his home right now are very, very, very... Uh, difficult, complicated. Best case scenario for that wife is your husband's been cheating on you your entire relationship. Worst case scenario, you're married to a rapist who may end up in prison. One of the incidences took place in LA um, at his home in LA. I hope it wasn't the home he was sharing with his uh, his wife or girlfriend at the time. But one of the incidences took place in LA and the LAPD has opened up an investigation. So um, yeah, shit's gotten real let's talk about uh, some of these details that came out in this Hollywood Reporter story. So two women they're using aliases. Um, They both work in the industry. They are afraid of being punished, being fired um, consequences if they were to speak up under their names. But one is going by Zoe. She's 40. And then there's Lily who's 31. Lily is now a journalist. The Hollywood reporter says she reached out to them in August and she said that for so many years, she buried this story. And she said, seeing that he was reprising his role in Sex in the City, she said, it set off something in me. She decided it was time to try to go public with who he is. She says, after graduating from college um, in 2004, she was 22. She moved to LA and she was working at a quote unquote, a high profile firm where Christopher Noth and other celebrities regularly had business. She said that he got her number from the phone directory and began leaving messages on her work phone. They were kind of flirty. She said she let let her boss at the time listen to the messages. And the boss thought it was odd. that The much older man, he was 49 at the time. And again, this young woman is 22, was reaching out to this woman. They were both enamored. They were giddy. They were starstruck. Zoe says, Chris Noth... He invited her to come to the pool at a building in West Hollywood where he had an apartment. She said she had a friend who also lived there or in that building. She and a friend who was in town visiting her, they went to the pool to meet him. The friend has confirmed this meeting. Zoe said he had a book with him and he asked her to take a look at it because he was thinking of doing this project. And he kept asking her what she thought. And she was very flattered that he was asking her opinion. She says he had to take a phone call and he left the book and he told her to just bring it to his apartment later when he was done with his call. So afterwards, she said she went to the apartment. She left her friend down at the pool. She said he tried to kiss her. She wasn't alarmed by that. She said she kissed him back and she said, thank you, Um, I'm gonna go back and meet my friend. And she didn't think much about it. She thought it would be a fun story to tell her friends that, you know, she moved to Hollywood. She said she'd only been living in LA two months, but she moved to Hollywood, met Mr. Big, and he kissed her. She thought it would be a funny story to tell. Um, And then she says that Noth pulled her toward him, moved her to the bed, pulled off her shorts and bikini bottom, and began to rape her from behind. She said she was facing a mirror. She said it was painful. She, she said that she yelled out, stop. He didn't. She said, can you at least get a condom? She said he laughed at her. She said when it was over, she saw there was blood on her shirt. She said she went to her friend's apartment, the one that she said lived in the building. The friend that was visiting from college was already in the apartment. She said she walked to the bathroom And tried to get the blood out of her shirt and her friends kept asking what happened and she said i just want to go home and the friend who was visiting her said you're scaring me the hollywood reporter talked to that friend who confirms the story she said when we uh we left the apartment she wouldn't talk she wouldn't make eye contact she said we got in the car i started pressing her you have to tell me what happened something's wrong She said, I don't remember the words she said, but I said, I'm taking you to the hospital. They went to Cedar sinai and Zoe told the staff she had been assaulted. She had to get stitches. Two police officers came. She told them what happened, but she wouldn't tell them who it was. She said she feared she wouldn't be believed and she felt she would be fired if she accused Noth publicly. Zoe's boss, or the boss at the time, said Zoe called her later that day and told her that Noth had attacked her. She said, I stopped and pulled over because it was so horrible. She was very upset, kind of in shock. I was in shock. She said at Zoe's request, she didn't tell anyone what happened. The boss said she was 25 at the time, and she didn't know what to do. She also made a note that this was a decade before, me too. So the other story... Is from a woman named Lily. And she says that she was a server at the VIP section of what the Hollywood Reporter describes as a now shuttered New York nightclub. Number eight. I don't remember number eight. I was still in New York then. I don't remember that one. But she said she met Chris Noth. She recognized him from Law & Order and Sex in the City. Like Zoe, she said she was starstruck. She said he was hitting on her for sure. And she says that she knew he was married. She was 25 at the time. He was 60. She says Noth got her number and asked her out. And she was just like, that's crazy. Like, Mr. Big is asking me out for dinner. She said when she arrived at the restaurant, the kitchen had closed. They had wine at the bar. And Noth talked to her about the details of the third Sex in the City movie. She said he also asked her a lot about her job and her career trajectory. And she thought that he was genuinely interested in her. She says as the evening wore on, she had too much to drink, but she wasn't like, you know, blackout fucked up. Noth suggested that because the restaurant was closing, that they could go to his apartment, which was around the corner. He said he had a collection of whiskey that they could sample. So Lily points out that at the time she was like, I wasn't super sexually active. Um, And now she thinks it's humiliating that she didn't think that Chris Noth was trying to have sex with her. She was like, I genuinely thought we were going to drink whiskey and talk about his acting career. And again, she's like 25 at the time. Um, she said she went to the apartment. They were listening to music. He was trying to make out with her. She was like, I entertained it a little bit, but she's like, he's older and he looked older. She says that she should have said no more firmly and left, but she didn't. And then she says, quote, the next thing I knew, he pulled down his pants and he was standing in front of me um, and he thrust his penis into her mouth. Lily says that she brought up that he was married with children and he said marriage is a sham and monogamy is not real. And then she says again, quote, the next thing she knew, he was having sex with me from the back in a chair. We were in front of a mirror. I was kind of crying as it happened. When it was over, I went to the bathroom and put on my skirt. I was feeling awful, totally violated. She said she called an Uber. In the Uber, she called a friend. Hollywood Reporter spoke to the friend as well. The friend described her as hysterical. She says Lily told her that he had, quote, pretty forcibly had sex with her. Um, the friend suggested they should call the police, and Lily said no. The next day, Noth left a voicemail on Lily's phone. He said, hey, hope you didn't take anything wrong last night. We had fun. Just want to make sure you didn't take it the wrong way. The friend heard the voicemail and she said, it very much seemed like I know I did something bad, but I'm trying to make it seem like it wasn't a big deal. Lily still has a text exchange from 2015 with Noth. In one of them, he messaged her, I have to ask you, did you enjoy our night last week? I thought it was a lot of fun, but I wasn't quite sure how you felt. He did ask it in a follow-up message, if you do want to have a drink later, it doesn't have to be at my place, although I have the best whiskey. Come have a drink with me before I leave town. Since this story came out, um, there have been other people like all over Twitter talking about encounters with chris noth there was a woman who was a promoter at a club that he owned and she talked about like basically what a sleaze ball he was at both at the club and then she was also an actress she worked on a law and order episode and he was drunk while he was filming and he was just a complete dick then too it was a kind of widely known thing that he was a sleaze ball. perhaps many people didn't know he was a rapist you know these two women came forward in the Hollywood Reporter and then now they're murmurings on Twitter and then other people are this this other woman at least this one other woman made a series of Instagram slides about like her encounters with him I think this is probably going to be maybe not a a Weinstein level situation but I think there's going to be women coming out of the woodwork about their encounters with Chris Noth what these women are describing It's some real predator shit. It sounds like he had an M.O. Rape him from the back in front of a mirror. Very young girls. These stories are awful. Absolutely awful. And like I said, I expect more to come out, unfortunately. So we'll see, like, over the next couple days. Unfortunately, I won't be able to speak with you about them um, on the podcast. Maybe I'll get a chance to, you know, do Instagram or Facebook updates while I'm traveling. I'm, that's not guaranteed. That's, that's a maybe. That's a strong maybe. But yeah, like I, I feel awful for, for these women. So just to be clear, first and foremost, my sympathy, empathy, actually, and concern and care is for the women who have allegedly been assaulted. That I just want to make sure that I note that that is the primary focus. What I'm going to say next is thinking from another perspective, and I just want to be on the record as saying that the primary concern is the women. Yo, the marketing team at Peloton got to be ready to, like, shoot everybody. Last week, they were pissed about Sex in the City has killed off this major character using their goddamn bike as, like, the weapon of choice, right? Their stocks tank. Those people ain't get no sleep over the weekend. They pulled together an entire commercial and had it up and circulating by Sunday. They celebrated on Monday. They were posting. They were like, 48 hours, we did this thing. Everyone and their mother was talking about the commercial they put out. It was all over the blogs. It was all over the publications. It was all over like random social media accounts. It was very well received. Even though their stock didn't, like, I don't know, shoot through the roof again, I think they stopped the dramatic drop We've talked about like the senior vice president of marketing was a black chick. She talked on her Instagram about, you know, the whole team pulled it together and she posted this picture. Like they were really proud of their work and they should be because it was widely praised. It's great marketing that y'all paid that man out the ass. Cause you know, he got a good check, a good check to pull that Peloton ad together. Last minute. I don't even think all the payments they would have had to put out for that commercial. Chris North might've got the money wired to his account. Cause he has some leverage to be like, you want me to show up, run me my money in full. He might've got paid. Everybody else is on some net 14, net 30. Them checks ain't even cleared yet. And that ad got pulled. Those allegations came up this morning. Peloton pulled that ad by the afternoon, cleared every mention of it from all their social media channels and was like, big who? Chris what? Hmm? We we don't know him. We, we don't know him. Mm-mm. Peloton is done. They're fighting air at Peloton headquarters. I feel bad for them. I really do. Because they lost and then they won and then they lost again. They can't win for losing over there. Damn. Poor Peloton. Can you imagine if that was your job right now? And right before the holidays? Them folks can't wait to get off work. Can they even get off? You can't take no real holiday in the midst of this shit. They might get the day. That's it. Maybe Christmas Eve. I feel bad. In other news, in better news, I want to talk about Harlem. One of the, I guess, difficulties when, especially streaming platforms, when they release a show all at once, like as a viewer, I love it. I love to take the day and just binge everything. But it also makes it kind of difficult sometimes to talk about a show. I want to talk about individual episodes, but because everyone's not watching them at the same time or at the same pace, it's just hard to figure out like how to discuss a show. So I wanted to talk about Harlem overall because I really enjoy the show and I think it's fun. And as I mentioned earlier, like one of my favorite people is on the show last time, I think Bevy Smith was on the show with us. She talked about some new opportunities that she was working on. And she said, you know, I'm, I'm going into acting. And I was like, okay, Bevy. And she didn't tell me what it was. Sometimes we talk like another 15 or 20 minutes after we're done recording. Basically, it's like a session of Bevy fix my life. She's really, really good at it. We had a conversation today, which I was like, okay, so I need to rethink everything. Essentially. She was like, are you practicing patience? What are you doing to shift? I'm like, okay, I just, I really wanted to call and discuss the show. Now you all in my business, auntie shit. One of the things that I love about Bevy is she's always doing something fresh and new. Like there's never a dull moment. She's always getting herself into something mixy. So I wanted to talk to her about Harlem because she's in Harlem and she was also a consultant on Harlem. And she's also like, you know, like the face of Harlem. I think there's a couple of people whose faces come to mind when you think of Harlem. One is Bevy. One is Marcus Samuelson. The other is Tiana Taylor and Dapper Dan. Can't leave out Dapper Dan. But those are like the four people who come to mind when I think of Harlem. So Bevy is all on the show. She's all in the behind the scenes with the making of the show. I loved Harlem. I thought it was amazing. So I wanted to bring in one of my favorite people to talk about Harlem with me. So does Bevy still need an introduction? I mean, she's done this show like so many times. Everybody knows who Bevy is. What she most wants you to know her for right now is her book. She is the author of bevelations, lessons from a mother, auntie, bestie. And in the course of this conversation, she reveals like some new shit. I was like, Bevy, what? We're here to talk about the new thing you're doing. you already on to a new thing you're doing. All right, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, those who don't identify as either, reintroducing Bevy Smith. I'm so happy to have you on the phone today. How are you?
1: Child, you know it's a holiday, so crazy. You know, not just, um, I've been working all this week and I I never worked this deep into December.
0: I just did the screening for a journal for Jordan last night and I saw you did it earlier this week, on Monday, I think?
1: I did it last Friday.
0: Last Friday, okay. I really liked the film.
1: Such a powerful film. And I said to Dana, I said, I am a single woman who lives her life to the fullest, i.e. I'm a happy person. But watching a journal for Jordan, I was like, yeah, I, I I, definitely want that kind of love.
0: Yes. But that's the only kind that I want. Like, if it's not, like, maxed out at that level, like, I don't want to settle for anything. Like, I want the full throttle or I'm good just, like, living.
1: Right. Exactly. Like, I don't want a placeholder relationship.
0: No. No, no, no. It was a really good film. I, like, cried my eyes out at the end. Um,
1: of course. It, I mean... To lose someone, after, and you know, the real story is they went back and forth for like eight years because she just didn't believe that he was her guy. And they went back and forth for eight years, and then when she finally commits, he dies. Spoiler yeah. alert!
0: So I caught that, and I wasn't sure because you know, you know, we had an open bar at our at our um, screening, and I was like. <done."> Because I was like, it was 2002, and like I remember the music, and then all of a sudden it was like 9/11, and I was like, wait, what? Like, ten years just passed. What happened?
1: Okay. Yeah. So okay.
0: it's me. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh gosh, now that makes it even worse. Oh my god, now I have to watch it again. I feel like okay. I see it in a totally different light with that understanding. I'm glad you mentioned. That.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's it's pretty sad, but that happens a lot.
0: Yeah. It does. It's something I'm really afraid of too.
1: Well, don't be afraid. Just live your life with your heart being open. For me, I really have gotten into this mindset where I am going to enter my 55th year in 2022 with a very open heart, meaning that I'm not going to be guarded at all. Come what may. Okay. I like this. I like Mm
0: -hmm. this. I like it very much. But the reason I wanted to get you on the phone today, which I'm super excited about, is I texted you on Thanksgiving because I was watching Harlem. I had the advanced copy of it. And you told me last time we spoke, and when I read your book, you talked about this new opportunity. You said you were going into acting, and you didn't tell me or the readers what exactly this project was. You just left it very open-ended. It's like, I'm going to be an actress, and that's that. <laughs> yeah. and then I was watching Harlem, and I saw you were a consultant. And I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Like, you know, who knows Harlem better than Bevy? And then you pop up on the screen and I started screaming in my apartment. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> and then I texted you with like all that excitement. Like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. So congratulations <laughs> on that. Like you're always into something, which I love about you.
1: Thank you, thank you. That, that's a part of, I've always been very open. Um, well, not always, but since I decided to change my life at the age of 38 and stop being a fashion executive, I've always led my professional life very open, with an open spirit. Um, and so that's just another part of it. You know, I, I quit my job with the intention of being an actress. It, it was just the hosting thing came to me so easily. Um, and a lot of people directed me in that way as well. Like even the great acting coach, Susan Batson, the first time I ever took ena- took an acting class, she said to me, you're a book, you're a movie, you're a story wait, waiting to be told. As you are, you can work. And I was like, I want to do August Wilson. I want to do Tennessee Williams. Because to me, like, they're the actors are the alpha and the omega. Like, they're the end all and be all. And she was like, but as you are, you can work. That's her voice. As you are, you can work. You can go out and get work. As you are. And then I started getting work as I was. And so, and then you become successful at that. And it's like, well, this is pretty fucking good. I don't have to work a job. I get to do these things I really love because I really do love um, hosting shows and interviewing people and all of that. I love that. Um, but when Page Six TV ended in September 2019, I said, I'm not going to try out for another one of those kind of shows I'm gonna give myself the opportunity to see what's happening for me as an actress. As
0: an actress. So how did this role in Harlem come to be?
1: Um, My friends, Mimi Valdez and Pharrell Williams are um, EPs on the project. Um, And of course Mimi was like, well, you are Harlem. And um, I went in for an audition. And the craziest thing is, that I auditioned literally three days before the country shut down. So I must have auditioned on March tenth of twenty twenty. So right before we under, right before we got the notice that, oh yeah, we're in the middle of a global pandemic. And I just, and I wrote about it in the book, being scared to go because I was afraid of failing, but I was also afraid of this new virus that no one really knew anything about. But I pushed myself and I went. And um, I felt like I didn't stink up the joint. I said that in the book. Well, I didn't stink up the joint. Um, and, I, and I said, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. Because I don't know if you remember this, Demetria, but there were a lot of shows that were greenlit that got canceled due to the pandemic. There were shows that were on the air that were supposed to come back for season two and three and what have you, that just didn't come back because of the pandemic. So I didn't know what was going to happen with the show. And, and um, when I auditioned for it, it wasn't even called Harlem. Um, and so I didn't think much of it. I was just glad that I had the oomph, the, the, the gusto, the cojones to go out there and audition. And that's really where I left it. And I was minding my business, smoking a cigarette, eating the bonbon. I don't do either one of those things. <laughs> but that's like my spirit animal. You know, I have one on marabou trimmed, you know, lingerie, and I'm sitting on my. Sherry's Lounge, luxuriating, eating bonbon, smoking a cigarette, and my phone call, my phone rings, and it's my manager, and he's like, you know, Amazon is looking for you. They want you for a role in this series. You already went in and auditioned, and I was like, wow.
0: That's amazing. I don't know, because I don't think people who don't work in TV understand how long it takes for a project to go from, I guess, inception to actually landing on your screen, because um, yeah, if you're yeah. auditioning this for, what, 20, the beginning of 2020? Yeah. Before the pandemic, like, you know, and we're just now getting it in, like, the fall of, um, the winter, really, of 2021. Yeah. So it's been a very yeah. long journey for this show.
1: Yeah, and, of course, it was uh, it was slowed down due to the pandemic and everything because, of course, no one was shooting. You know, everyone had to stop shooting, um, and everyone had to reconfigure everything, every, you know, and so, um, entertainment was no exception. I will say that I feel like entertainment and film and TV really did get back up on their feet sooner than most other kinds of, um, um, entities, business entities. And that's probably because of all the money that they were leaving on the table. Cause as you know, we all just sat home and binge watched everything. Tiger King would never have been a thing and not for the pandemic, which we saw now with the part two of Tiger King. Has anyone ever seen it? Does anyone talk about it? No. No one cares.
0: We were all bored. We were sitting at home <laughs> bored out of our minds. So watching
1: and also this. frightened.
0: Yes, that part too. Yeah. You need distraction with ridiculousness. Yes. Mm-hmm. But no, but I, I bring up the timeline because there's been um, lots of discussion about um, Run the World and Harlem. Um, being shows of not even like a similar nature but about four women who live in a, a neighborhood but I feel like we see those for white women all the time um, yeah. no one makes that big of a deal about it but people are like oh well Harlem did well so this is a spinoff or a take because of that and I'm like I think they were probably in production around the same time
1: you know um, Tracy Oliver when I interviewed her um, we had a, a Q&A um, during, right before the, the show premiered and she talked about how she tried to get this show made prior to her actually writing Girls Trip. Yeah. So not long ago that came out. So it was only due to the success of Girls Trip that she was given these kind of opportunities. You know, it's not just Harlem. She also has the First Wives Club on BET. She, um, um, sorry, Michelle Bateau and Jill Scott, um, and Deborah Cox is on there as well. You know, so. Yeah, she she has an affinity towards women as sisters, as besties, as people that hold you down. That's her thing.
0: Yeah, and she's really, really, really good at it.
1: And she's really good at it. Exactly.
0: Yeah. No, I talked to her at the um at the premiere party in Harlem, and I was just like, I'm so proud of you, because like I remember yeah. her name floating around when she was writing um with Issa for Awkward Black Girl back when it was mm-hmm. like so. so she's been around for a minute.
1: Yeah. And she was acting as well. Um, and now she's got, you know, two hit shows on her hands. So I'm really happy for her. And I'm, and I'm glad that there's um, yet another Black woman who gets, who gets to create content where we can really truly see ourselves reflected. I don't know about you, but I identify with every single character in Harlem.
0: There's a little bit of me in each of them, which I love. Yes,
1: yes. Exactly. Favorite
0: character? I mean, other than like
1: yourself. (laughs) Other than Aunt Tammy, um, let's see. My favorite, I, I I do. um, Ty, I really love. Yeah. Because I love the way she goes through the world, kind of like bold and fearlessly, and she is also the one who gets things done. Like she is um, very driven. And so I relate to that because I'm a very driven person. Um, and then Quinn being the hopeless romantic, I think that that's where I connect with Quinn because I really am a hopeless romantic in that I listen to love songs and I'm like, yeah, I need to feel like that. <laughs> I don't I don't want to feel like the, we're getting them younger. We might as well do this kind of love story. You know? Or yeah, uh, well, done. You know, like, eh, why not? Let's give it a try. Um, So Quinn would never um, settle in romance, and neither would I. So I relate to her on that. Um, And then Camille, gosh, when haven't we been, like, you know, kind of obsessed with um, yesterday, right? And chasing after the memory of something, We'll have to see about, you know, what happens in season two. Like, is Ian really worth what she's putting into him, the angst that she's going through? Is she smart to, like, you know, be kissing him when she has a perfectly divine man who absolutely adores her and gives her no drama?
0: Yeah, I so, feel like there's just certain people where it's it's just something about them. Like, it's just this, like, magnetic kind of chemistry. Yeah, and, you know, it yeah. Mean, Like, I hear the skepticism in your voice, baby.
1: Yeah, because it, it doesn't mean they're right for you. That could just be some kind of animal magnetism, you know, some kind of attraction in that way. That could be very base and basic. Um, and when you get to be a grown person, a grown-ass woman... You do have to start learning how to discern between the two. Just because you are drawn to someone doesn't mean you need to be with that someone.
0: Oh, baby, don't say that.
1: Well, I'm just saying, girl. own
0: oh, <laughs> issues, baby. Damn it! Don't say that. Well,
1: baby. But, babe, babe, we've seen this happen time and again, play out in our lives, and also play out in, you know, fictional characters. I mean, most recently. Big and Carrie, I'm sorry, she wasted a lot of years going back and forth with Big only for him to die, you know, 10 years into the marriage. I mean, I'm just like, (sighs) (laughs) She let him die. There was definitely room on the door. Exactly.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, go ahead. Um,
1: And then I was going to say, but Angie, I love Angie because she is the big, bold, blustery personality but she is soft inside. And, Mm -hmm. you know, for me, I always talk about how I had to shed my Big bet from Uptown persona because it was really getting in the way of life, the way I saw it, you know? And so I had to really let go of that um, persona. And so now, even though I am outspoken and even though I am, I don't go with a lot of nonsense, I think people get that I am a human, and I think people get that I have feelings that can be hurt. And I, I think people get that I am a sensitive spirit versus just like, I'm not having it. What? I wish you would. Like, that gets us nowhere. So Angie gives you that. But then you see her in those quiet moments in her performance. Shaniqua is so great at that. And you see her vulnerability. And you see her hurt. And you see her pain. And I think season two, hopefully they will be able to explore even more of that.
0: Yeah. I think Angie's probably the most relatable to me for similar reasons. Like, you know, I'm a cancer, so I have my hard mm-hmm. shell. I'm like, nothing bothers me, and I have that tough exterior, but I'm pure mush inside. Like, if you really dope me,
1: yeah, exactly.
0: You really hurt. I'm very sensitive. Um, so I'm like, oh, Angie, I just want to like hug her and protect her and put her in bubble wrap. I love her.
1: Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I'm glad that you connect with her too. You know, there have been so many, um, kind of harsh criticisms criticisms of her and like you people are not getting it are you watching the show because it's not a one note performance
0: yeah. there's
1: texture there
0: no I feel like sometimes it's like a, a catch 22 with portrayals of Black women, because it's like, you know, if she's too soft, and she's a pushover. If she's too hard, then she's a strong Black woman stereotype. It's like sometimes we even, we acknowledge that stereotypes exist, and then when we're watching art about Black women, it's like, all we can see is the stereotype. It's really weird how we do that sometimes.
1: Yeah. Everyone was criticizing Quinn for leaving her purse and everything, and or for going out to Long Island. I was like, I used to travel to Westchester for a penis like and I'm sure a lot of other people have and I'm going to Brooklyn before you Brooklyn like it's the
0: same distance as Westchester you're like I'm going to Westchester but for me it is Brooklyn.
1: well you know for me it is because remember Harlem is so next door to the Bronx and the Bronx is basically Westchester it's like literally I could get to Yonkers or you know I would get to Yonkers in like 40 minutes and that's the same kind of kind of distance to Brooklyn.
0: It's an hour if, and if, a half train. I've done it. Yes.
1: <laughs> well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not taking the train. I'm not taking the train to yeah. travel for no penis. You've never taken the
0: train, Bev. You've taken the train before. For penis?
1: For penis? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. No. Not unless it was like the Metro North to go and see him in Westchester, which is not the subway. But yeah, no, just like we getting on a train to go to Brooklyn to see somebody, that's not going to happen. Oh,
0: I was broke in the city, baby. I took the train. I took the train. And
1: that's why he, he should have paid for it.
0: I, we were both broke. I was in grad school.
1: He was broke too?
0: Yeah, he was. Broke <laughs> he was cute though.
1: Okay, yeah. I, I, that's one thing I can't relate to because remember, I'm a Harlem girl. And, <laughs> you know, us Harlem girls, we are buy a paper, so I'm like... Everybody can't be broke. Or if everybody is broke, he's going to have to come to me.
0: I didn't know the ways of the world. I was 22.
1: Yeah, girl. Okay. It was cute. It was
0: romantic in retrospect.
1: What I'm going to tell you now is do not take the Greyhound bus to Santa Monica to see somebody, okay?
0: Never. I have a car. My God, I've never taken the bus here. (laughs) Okay.
1: (laughs) but you should be paying for at this point but let me not get into that whole thing because it's <laughs> a whole other ball of wax i
0: agree i didn't know my my worth at 22 i have a whole different now
1: they gotta put some effort into it my 93 year old mother and my 89 year old aunt were like you girls make it too easy for men i was like but i don't know who you're talking to because i don't so take me out the equation they're like "Well, good
0: What is it like to have, like, I don't know, like, the spotlight? I mean, it's not the first time, but the spotlight. I feel like everyone's paying attention to Harlem right now because of the show. There's, like, a heightened interest in it. Again, Harlem goes in waves with this stuff.
1: Well, you know, I mean, Harlem is just an iconic place. I mean, first of all, how many other places have had a renaissance? Like, a a real legitimate one. It's, It's literally, like, some people can say, like, oh yeah, this is a renaissance, but it's not been culturally named that. You can't Google the, for lack of a better example, the Brooklyn renaissance. You can't Google that. I knew you were going to say
0: Brooklyn.
1: And that's no disrespect to Brooklyn, because I love Brooklyn, and I've actually been spending a lot more time in Brooklyn. I respect Brooklyn. I have often said that if I was not born and raised in New York City and was just coming to New York I would probably plant my flag in Brooklyn, which is the modern day Brooklyn. I reason all you people who came to Brooklyn after the crack um, epidemic, and now want to talk about Biggie and want to talk about, you know, Fort Grant. It's like, yeah. First of all, you guys would have never lived there back in the day. So spare me all of your sentiments and all of your, is Brooklyn in the house? Without a doubt, nonsense. Because y'all are not about it. If you're about it, you live there throughout the, the 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 good times and the bad times, which is why I'm always sending all of them. You see what I mean? So I don't like it when you people that are the transplants want to ride for for Brooklyn. So I'm like, get out. You're not in the part of the conversation. Because back in the day when Big, first of all, y'all would have been the ones calling the cops on Biggie when he was selling drugs, just trying to provide for his daughter. Y'all would have been those people. You do realize that, right?
0: I didn't get there until long after Biggie and I never claimed the hard side of Brooklyn. (laughs) Just for clarity, I've never claimed the hard side of Brooklyn.
1: But no, you arrived when you hear Biggie, though. And when when you ask, is Brooklyn in the house? You'd be like, without a doubt, right? I
0: do, to this day, I do, yes, to this day, yes. Uh,
1: So then you're claiming a Brooklyn that you were not a part of and that you could have never survived then.
0: Fair, you're right. I'm a girl from the birds. you're right. I moved to Brooklyn for spite
1: you moved to Brooklyn perspective.
0: Nola Darling-ish or whatever. I wanted to be an artist who lived in a Brooklyn loft with like a bunch of candles and date a bunch of different guys and live like some boho artist lifestyle. That's why I moved okay. I saw that movie when I was like 13, 14, maybe younger um, and was like obsessed with Nola Darling and just the idea of like just Brooklyn, the, the views from the bridge, like her friends, her lifestyle, everything. That's what I wanted.
1: Meanwhile, you're you're blasting your, your hip hop. I don't hear you listening to Bill Lee's soundtrack. His jazz soundtrack. <laughs> you sitting up ride-ride for Jay Z and for Biggie. Which one is it, honey? You want to be Noah, darling, or you want to be a hip hop hottie? Which one?
0: I mean, every time I drive my car, like I'm listening to the new Rick Ross. I'm selling keys on the way to you know. Right.
1: You know. <laughs> I know.
0: This is my suburban life. Let me be.
1: <laughs> well, I just wanted to clarify that I could never disrespect Brooklyn just like, I, well, one, I'm, I'm not ever going to disrespect Brooklyn because there's no comparison between Brooklyn and Harlem. And let me, I'm so glad that we're going to, we're say, I'm saying this on this podcast. So here's the thing, guys. If you do not live here or if you just, or, or you were not brought up here, you were not born here, Brooklyn is an entire borough, okay? Harlem is a part of a borough. The borough that Harlem is a part of is Manhattan. So we're just a neighborhood in a borough. So you cannot compare a neighborhood to an entire borough. So if you want to compare Harlem to something, then you have to take one of the neighborhoods in Brooklyn and then you have to compare us. And then that's a fair comparison. But we're so mighty in Harlem that folks have to bring up a whole entire borough to battle against us.
0: Here you go.
1: Here you go. Okay. I d- but tell the truth, right? Tell the truth, shame the devil. Am, am I not making point?
0: You yes, yes. All facts, all valid points.
1: That's how flawed we are. The Harlem Renaissance. You don't even get to be the writer that you are without Zora Neale Hurston, without Langston Hughes, without Arturo Schomburg without Baldwin. You don't get to do any of that. Acknowledge <laughs> that. Yeah. Except for the Harlem Renaissance. So I mean, okay. Bow down with you in my town, that's all. Bow down with you in my town, that's it. And then all of our modern day swagger, who doesn't want to be Tiana Taylor?
0: I didn't. I was surprised she didn't pop up in the show. I was expecting her to, to come she up. Was a, you and then Dard, I was like, Tiana's gonna pop up too.
1: She doesn't live here though.
0: Oh, uh, she, she in Atlanta?
1: Um, Atlanta and LA, I believe. Oh, okay. I said hopefully for season two we'll see her.
0: So season two you'll see her, yeah. Hopefully. No, I'm
1: saying hopefully. I don't know anything about season two, but I'm saying hopefully.
0: I heard that there's writing for season two. There's a whole there's a whole script or scripts written for season two is what I've heard. Talk to me about consulting on the show. Like what did you What did you make sure they got right? What was important for you to showcase about Harlem?
1: You know what? The writing was so good and solid that it was just really like little tiny flourishes and things like that. I just talked to them about my community and about my experiences of being a girl in the community. And then also to, you know, now I'm an adult and it's so interesting that I'm raging against Ian um, in the show about being a gentrifier. And I am... A bit of a gentrifier myself now the reason why I can sleep with my why I can like you know fall asleep at night um is because even though I live in a very gentrified building I'm still very of the entire community so I live in a little bit of an ivory tower but I walk these streets and I do all of the things I'm at the block parties I'm at the, the, you know the subway fish, you know' um, I'm, I'm at the things, the community things. Um, but certainly if I was not making an effort to be a part of the community, I could be one of these people that just kind of live in the, the fancy condo building, get in, the, uh, in a, a car, a black car and go the way of the hell she's going and just really only live sleep in Harlem but not do much of anything else which is the thing that I resent when people do that. So don't come here because it's cheaper than the Upper West Side. You come to Harlem for the community. One of the most magical things that happened during the pandemic was Juneteenth. You know, during the pandemic it was the first time that um, the government had ever really kind of um, officially recognized Juneteenth. So, of course, I live in Harlem. I live right off of Frederick Douglass Boulevard, legendary, darling. And so I come out my building because I think I'm going to walk over to Marcus Garvey Park. Child, I didn't even have to walk over the Marcus Garvey Park. I walked across the street and there was a full-on Juneteenth celebration. And I was like, this is why I live in Harlem. I like, didn't even know it was going to be happening, but it was happening. And it was hella black and it was strawberry soda and amazing people singing. And it was great. And I never actually made it over to Marcus Garvey Park. So, you know, it's just like, it's, Harlem is a vibe. And it really is, um, no matter where you go in the world, people know it's a black enclave. So I, I felt like they did a good job at showing how black it is, um, but also warning against the dangers of gentrification, you know. Um, you know, we do have to be very vigilant. Like that that poster that they had of um of the restaurant and that soha sign, like that was something that I mentioned to them because Um, a couple of years prior there was a real estate company that moved to Harlem and they tried to create Soha and they tried to make it a thing south of Harlem and it was supposed to be that corridor like 116th down to 110th and they were trying to make it a thing and of course the community rose up and was like so what you can't do is rename a, a historical community. It's like you can't come into New Orleans and rename Treme. Like, where are they doing that at? And we stopped it. So it was great that they, like, you know, made sure people understood, like, these kind of things happen, but it's the community that can put a stop to it. And we continually do that. Because as you know, Demetria, you were out with me um, this summer, and for all, the, for all the white folks you saw, did, not, did Harlem not feel hella Black to you?
0: Hella Black. Very Black. When you were talking about it being like, you know, you walked outside for Juneteenth and it was a block party. I was like, I feel like that's any given Friday in Harlem.
1: Right, Right, exactly.
0: I just went up there for drinks. You were like, we're going to promenade. And I was like, sure. Okay, we're going to sit out. Um, And then, like, just everyone. Everyone strolled by. Like, people, I mean, I obviously don't live in New York anymore, but, like, every single person I knew that lived in Harlem strolled by (laughs) in the course of, like, three or four hours. (laughs) Went from dinner and cocktails to, like, bottles and cars pulling up. (laughs) But that whole night was, like, when I wrote about it on my my social media, I was, like, that whole night was like a movie. Like, all sorts of people. Like, editors, like, the shoe editor from um, Sex and the City. We were talking about the shoes for the upcoming show. I was just like, wait, what? Just, yeah. <laughs> dark in pain showed us his abs, which, you
1: know, <laughs> right. like crush on Dark continues. Yeah. Right. No, but that's what it is. It's a real community. And that's that's the part that um, you know, I'm hoping that people get from just even seeing the way the girls interact. It is a community. And And we have, um, and I actually have a whole crew of people who are not from Harlem, but live in Harlem that are my friends too. So like, and and that's, that puts a different spin on things. If you're not from Harlem and you live there and you love it, you may not, maybe you didn't go to the the rooftop or maybe where you go and get your fried fish is different from where I go and get my fried fish. You know, it's like, you just have different it's a not different taste level but you have different experiences based on when you got to Harlem. And because Harlem is always changing and evolving, but the one kind of um the one kind of cornerstone of Harlem is that it's a black community. It really is a black community. I mean just the fact that our avenues are named after Malcolm X and Adam Clayton Powell Jr., and, you know, Frederick Douglass, and for Adam Clayton Powell Jr. and for Malcolm X, you can literally walk the same streets that they did in Harlem. You can go to Adam Clayton Powell Jr.'s church. That's Abyssinian, which is one of the most prominent churches in the country, black churches in the country. You know, Malcolm X's mosque on 116th Street still stands. Like that's powerful stuff.
0: You know, when I talk about moving back to New York, I actually think about going to Harlem.
1: Come on, girl.
0: I'm not saying I'm, when. I don't know when. I'm just saying I have I have, <laughs> I have looked. I have looked at real estate in various.
1: Come on, girl.
0: And Harlem is one of them.
1: Yeah, come on, because we got a community. We it's do. it's really it's really popping, and you can live in your ivory tower. And you can, you know, come down on the ground and then you get all your folks and all your juice and all your energy and then you go back up. Like, you know, okay, so again, not to just harp on the Brooklyn thing, but I don't know if there's a part of Brooklyn where you're living in the hood, but you can also live luxuriously in the hood where it's like still like the energy. Well, you know, Harlem is odd in that there's a luxury building, but then there's a project right there. And, like, everyone kind of mixes and mingles versus, I feel like, in a lot of other places, because New York is like that, you know, right? Like, the Meatpacking District is, you know, that project that Whoopi Goldberg grew up in, right? Right across the street from the Maritime Hotel. But never show the two meet, right? The project folks don't go over to the Maritime Hotel for a cocktail and dinner,
0: no,
1: never. That would never happen. That would never happen. But in Harlem, that happens all the time. That's one of the reasons why I love um Red Rooster and Marcus Samuelson. it at any given Friday or Saturday, you go up in that that dining room and you're gonna have, you know, the the, the hood folks that are coming in for their nice cocktails and everything, and then you're gonna have some European from somewhere that came because he's heard so much about it and he's a big fan of Marcus because he he remembers when he used to run Aquavit like but really? you have that you have that cultural kind of blend now yeah, I like that and that's a that's the New York I grew up in yes that's the
0: New York I miss actually you hear the sirens in your
1: background
0: and I'm like oh yeah don't you hear that yeah honey. I, it. I
1: actually okay, here again but <laughs> I actually um oh, let me let go by I actually usually close my um terrace door when I'm doing these kind of things and now it's like you know what but we're doing something we're going to be talking about Harlem they should feel the energy of Harlem Yes Ugh. and yes ambulances are a part of the energy of Harlem
0: It's part of the story let me ask you a mm-hmm. final question. If there's a season two, which I'm praying there's a season two, one of the reasons I keep talking about this show is I want everyone to watch it so it gets as many eyeballs as possible so there is a season two, so I find out what happens next. What do you think is going to happen next in season two, especially for Camille and Ian?
1: Oh, what I want to have happen?
0: What do you want to have
1: happen? Oh, yeah, because I I have no way of knowing what's going to happen with the storyline, but what I would love to have happen is I want Camille to get really focused on being Dr. Camille. And I want her to really own her shit and not let Ian um, or the other really hunky guy distract her. Because what I find is that we give up so much as women and um, you know, oftentimes it's a sacrifice that's worthy. um, uh, But many times it's not. And sometimes you're left hollow inside, hollow on the outside, and you're like, wow, if I had not. Like, like um, what um, Camille's professor was telling her, mm-hmm. um, played by Andrea, I forget her last name, white woman professor was telling her, yeah, I gave up my Ph.D. track the, you know, to be there for my husband and all that kind of stuff. And then they wound up being divorced. It's like, oh, that happens a lot. And I just think for women, um, we have to learn to put ourselves first. Um, And if we want children, um, we have to be very intentional about that. And that means being intentional about it too. If we find someone, great. And if we don't, do it anyway. Because I will tell you this, younger women listening, my book is called Bevelation's Lessons for My Mother, Auntie Bestie. And this is the auntie part. If you want children, that is the one thing that that one like pang that aches that will never go away, that will never subside, no matter what happens to you, no matter how successful you are. But there's not there's not just one way to have children now. So you're educated, you're smart, you go to go getters. Go get yourself a baby, with or without the guy. That's my little piece of advice. I never wanted children. That's how I can be a happy single fifty-five-year-old woman. Because if you're fifty-five and single who never wanted children, hope, hope and love springs eternal. I don't have a I don't have a clock on happiness and finding love. There's no clock on that. There's a clock on motherhood. In the traditional sense, with the quote fingers, there's a there's a clock on having a baby, and nobody better not mention Janet Jackson.
0: <laughs> Janet Taylor, <Tamplin. laughs> um, somebody else that had a baby at fifty. People um, really- Hallie. How- oh yeah. I'm just like, yeah, that's not how most of these women are gonna, you know, end up with a kid.
1: Yeah. So let's be careful, and let's be focused. And um but let's focus on ourselves too.
0: Why do you think it's so hard for women to focus on themselves? Not all women, but so many women.
1: Well, I I I will just say this. My daddy, and I was raised with my father, and my father was our primary caregiver. And my father will always say, Mama may have, Papa may have, but God bless the child that's got his own. And my father was our provider, a caregiver. It's not like I was raised by a man who left us to the wolves. Like, no, he was there for us. But he also taught us the importance of always having your own. And then my mom has always been a Spitfire, and she's always gone her own way, danced to her own beat. And so I was raised by a very independent thinking woman who just happened to be married and just happened to have children. <laughs> And I think that not enough women see that. I think a lot of, I know a lot of young black women that I chat with because they've never even been in a two-parent household. They have a fantasy of what that is. And they are, they will do anything to reach that goal. Not understanding that that's not a goal. A happy, healthy relationship is the goal. Just being able to say you're married being say you're married with two kids and with a house and two cars, that should not be the goal. The goal should always be to be happy in those spaces. Because otherwise, it's just you're doing it for the gram. You're not doing it for yourself. And then you come up empty and hollow. And then you show up bitter. And no one likes a bitter bitch. <laughs> no one likes that. So you, you wanna you want to just... Keep all those things in mind. I want Camille to keep those things in mind. Like I said, I have no way of knowing what they're doing with Camille's character. But I hope that no matter what happens with her and Ian or her and the other guy is that she's going to be focused on really upping the ante. Because when um, when Whoopi had, read, had fulfilled and told her, yeah, like you being a, a seven in a room full of fives, when you really should be a 10, like you don't get Brownlee points for that.
0: No, I similarly wish, um, I don't know if you wish that they would that she would be single, but I feel I wish that she would be because I don't think I and Ian is the good choice and I don't think the other guy is a good choice either. I think he's like a, a backup for Ian because she doesn't want to be alone or she wants to feel like, well, he has someone, so I have someone too. Um, and I never think that's a good idea. I really wish that she would, you know, get herself together um, and be... Yes! Active, and then find somebody but figure out, be the 10, and then meet someone at her best self and see what that person looks like.
1: Well, that's always a goal. Well, shit, I've been pursuing that for, since I was 38 years old. I'm like, oh, my God, let me work on myself. I'm amazing. I'm going to meet someone incredible to meet my fly, to match my fly, but it hasn't happened yet. But hope springs eternal. But, yeah, that's what I would love for her to do. I did all this introspective work on myself. As you know from reading the book, I did all the introspective work on myself. I was a woman who was obsessed with men. And then I wasn't. And then I just was like focused on getting myself together and making myself happy. And it's the best thing I ever did. And my life right now is cake, which we all know cake is a very tasty thing. And icing just makes it a little bit sweeter. And then icing can also be chlorine. If it's too much, see? So everything in moderation. Mm-hmm. My dude would be icing and hopefully he won't make me sick because it's too much of it.
0: <laughs> just, a little icing. just enough,
1: just the right amount. Just enough icing, you know? Don't go overboard. Don't give me that fond, fondant and with the big roses on it too and those like little gritty balls that are colored gold and you're supposed to eat those too. I don't want all of that. That's too much. too much. Mm-mm. I just want a nice little drizzle of icing. Make it a little bit sweeter. I, I thought it sounded like Aunt Tammy did. I hope they bring Aunt Tammy back for season two, I'll tell you that much.
0: Yes, I want more of Aunt Tammy. I like the little glimpse we got, but I feel like that that needs to be a full character that exists like, in every episode.
1: I think so, too. Aunt
0: Tammy's a
1: good time. We sh- Aunt Tammy is a great time. And it was so fun working with Tyler Lepley, And he was so gracious. And I knew Megan Good before. I didn't know Tyler, but so me and Megan knew each other. So that was like really lovely. And she was so gracious to me because it was my first time ever acting. And she was holding my hand and giving me notes on, okay, they're going to come over for coverage now and you should do this. I mean, she was awesome. Um, And then Tyler, because we had to do, a lot of what we did was improv. We had a script and then we just started going for it. The director let us play. And that's a lot of what you see. So he was generous and kind and hot and sexy and all the things.
0: Very hot. Very sexy. All the time. He's gorgeous.
1: He's gorgeous. And he got the nerve to be real nice. Oh, so it's even better.
0: That makes me happy.
1: Yeah. But shout out to Tasha Smith, T Saw. Tasha Smith School got me all ready for acting.
0: I love that. Yes, you did say that. You told me that you went you went to school for like a really long time.
1: I went to um I went to, I went to um, Black Nexus, which is a very famous acting school here in New York. Um, and then when I became really successful as a personality, then I stopped. And then I was taking privates with someone. But then when I got this audition, I called up Tasha Smith. And I said, Tasha, can you get me ready for this? And she's like, I'm shooting a film. But yeah, girl, I got you. And she was like, what is it? And I said, it's three lines. She was like, girl, we can knock down in an hour. I said, no, Tasha. I need, like, about a hot, spicy seven, eight hours. And I'll pay, I'll pay for your privates, but I need that. She was like, Betty, I'm doing a film, girl. She was like, you got this, though. I said, no, I don't. I said, I want to come in and nail three lines. I don't want it to be a, a you know, I don't want any kind of mishaps with three lines. Cause we all know three lines can turn easily turn into a lot more if you're good. And so she handed me off to another one of her, her teachers and we worked. And for three lines, we worked about seven hours, but we did all the introspective work going into who aunt Tammy was, what her motivation was, how she really felt about Ian, all these things. And sure enough, when I got on set, that's the reason why I was able to get that kind of uh You know, what people are saying. Oh, it felt so natural. I'm not even that kind of aunt. I'm not a bossy aunt. I'm not a nosy aunt. I don't talk to my kids like that. I'm very formal. I'm like the aunt that's like, I love you. Um, You're turning 18. Would you like to go to Paris or Costa Rica? I'm a very nice auntie. I would never talk to my kids the way Tammy did. I'm not that auntie. I'm a sweet auntie because I, I didn't grow up with that kind of aunt either like that's not my family thing so it's so funny because when my sister watched it she was like I don't even think aunt Tammy likes him <laughs> I was like oh, well maybe she doesn't maybe she doesn't that happens
0: that does happen are there any other acting roles on the horizon is something we should be looking out for you
1: to see? not no but I will tell you guys this and this is a word that I want for all of your listeners to take in when you do the work, sit back and let the universe take over. You do not have to do a whole bunch of backflips, overexertion. You don't have to. And this is about anything in life. That's the reason why my phone just rings. I don't go, I don't pursue any work that I receive. And I work all the time and I get really great marquee gigs because I've done the work. And so now the phone just rings. And I let my friend Tyler Perry know that I was doing this. I let my friend Lee Daniels know. I let Malcolm Lee know. I know all these guys. And I let them know I'm acting now. Here's the clip. Think of me. Now I'm going to sit back on that Shades Lounge in my lingerie that's covered in marabou with my cigarette and my bonbon. And I'm going to wait for the phone to ring. Okay, bouquet. Do you, know, do you know
0: most of these people from your hosting work?
1: <laughs> I know so many people through Dinner with Bevy, mm. which is so amazing because as you know, Dinner with Bevy was only created because I was broke or mm-hmm. needed to do something as a stopgap measure until I got a TV show. I created a business called Dinner with Bevy, but Dinner with Bevy was so wildly popular and so very successful that every A-list black person has been at a dinner with Bevvy, and therefore I know all these people, and therefore they love me. And I, and then of course I get I do my radio shows on Sirius XM, Bevelations. and so all of them pass through, and we do great interviews where I ask some questions that no one else is going to ask them, and so they love me more. And then it all just works together. But I just had Tyler Perry on and um, I told him what I was doing and I was like, <clears throat> before he left, I said, now Tyler, make sure you can ask me or something. He said, I am. I said, soon? He said, yeah. I was like, okay, Tyler. I said, I hope to see you soon. He was like, you will in 2022 in Atlanta on my lot. I said, okay, TP. Okay. Nothing. Yeah. I feel like your
0: whole life is just built on everything that you've done. Like you said, do the work. Like you did the work with, you know, dinner with Bevy and now it's paying off like all these years later. It just keeps
1: paying yeah. it paid off initially with money and with access. And but it continue and it, it's like a Easter egg. It's like, you know, it's just like one thing after another. It's like one of those little Russian dolls. You open it up and then there's another one and then there's another one. And so that's something I always want younger people to understand. Is that if you do the work, then you have a foundation. And from a foundation, you can build anything you want. So I didn't have to do, um, I didn't have to contort myself. I didn't, I don't have, any of the gigs I've ever received have been given to me. I mean, I did have to audition for Harlem, but even being, knowing about it came to me through relationships. Yeah. But you can't be predatory about it. You can't build relationships based on, oh, that person is fabulous and everything and so now I'm going to be nice to them. Because when I met you, you were not the Demetria Lucas you are today. You were figuring it out. But I was always nice to you, right?
0: I was an asshole, I had no power and no job. Like, I was volunteering to show
1: up. <laughs> but I was nice to you, right?
0: You were. You were very nice to me.
1: And now look at you, fancy as fuck. <laughs> so if i had been an asshole to you, back then, you would not be willing, I'm sure you wouldn't be willing, to help me and to support me and do all these things, right? No. no, oh. Because
0: they were, yeah. uh, we were not very nice, and I don't support them, and I don't help them.
1: Yeah, yeah. See? And now they need a little Demetria Lucas, honey. But they wasted your, their power. You tell them don't waste your privy, but don't waste your power either. Because when you're in when you're in pocket... That's the time to be the most generous and the most gracious to people. That's not the time to hoard your power. These people are so silly. That's why I can't stand older women that look at younger women as competition. If you don't to get out of here with that, if I look at Gia Peppers and, and um, what's my other baby's name? Um, Scotty Beam and Danielle.
0: Yeah. that whole The whole crew you just named. Danielle too. Scotty, Gia.
1: Yeah. Sylvia, Danielle, that all of them. They're it's, fly and fabulous. And they do the damn thing. And guess what? I don't want the jobs that they get. Because I should not, not that they're not good jobs, but I should have moved on from that. What what am I holding on to? If you don't get your old ass up and go and move into another realm, you see what I mean? You know what? Some of the best advice you ever gave me, and it was
0: how um what? It was, it was about dating. It was about being a certain age, like over twenty-five, I think, in the club. And you yes. like, you just trying to go into the club like you know, 17, 18, 16, whatever. People have seen you. Like you're you're not new anymore. Yes. You need to go to a place where you're new. So you were like, get out the club and you need to go to um some hosted dinners, some sit-down dinners, yes, some schools, yes. Like fundraisers where you're a fresh face in the room. And I was like, That's great advice. That makes sense. And I did just that. Yeah. Say-
1: yeah, you don't want to be the, the twin which is not even an old age, you want be 27 in the club, but you've been there for like 10 years, and so by virtue of just time, you're old hat. And so, yeah, everyone still loves you, everyone still wants to give you drinks, everyone still get lets you in for free, you don't have to wait online, but also, you're being passed over for the newer model. Why not go someplace where you can be discovered? That's why I always tell the folks. I love going in the rooms where no one knows who I am. Please don't know who I am. Say who are you and what do you do. Oh, let me give a ch- let me give you a chance to introduce myself. You?
0: <laughs> let you meet me. You
1: know what I mean? Like, yeah, I love that. I don't want to go. So- I don't rest on my laurels. That's my. I should have put that as one of the bevelations in the book. I don't rest on my laurels. I just don't. I refuse. If I'm really good at something and I've really mastered it. And I've I've had a lot of success at it. It was time for me to move on, which is why I did not go out for another hosting job. Which is why I do not want Wendy Williams' job. Which I want to say that on the record, because so many people are like on the computer. Bevvy's aiming with Wendy Williams' job. I am not. That is Wendy Williams' job. You
0: don't know I'm on a
1: Bevvy show.
0: Not not, not I, Wendy Williams' a job. Late, like a talk
1: show. Yeah, a late night one. Mm,
0: You need late night. You could be full. I
1: want full throttle. I want it on a streamer. You know, but in the meantime, in between time, I'm way more focused on doing this acting thing. And also, oh, tomorrow, when you're watching Swan Song, sorry, Mahershala Ali and Naomi Harris, when you watch the end of the, the movie... And you watch the credits; they will they will say art consultant Bevy Smith. I'm mm-hmm. the art consultant on Swan Song. You just
0: being a little bit of everything, baby.
1: Listen, huh? I'm going to make sure that when I close my eyes, it won't be um, on my tombstone. She didn't try everything she wanted. I'm going to try it all, baby. Right it
0: till the wheels. I'm
1: to the wheels fall off. I'm looking at Norman Lear at 99. I'm looking at Cicely Tyson, who I interviewed her two days before she died. She put out her book on a Tuesday, died on a Thursday. Come on now, that's the way you do it. 94 years old. She worked until the bitter end, but worked on the things that she was passionate about that she loved. That's how who I'm gonna be. Well,
0: thank you, baby. You're always amazing. Thank you.
1: This
0: is probably my I love you. Category. Isn't Bevy the greatest? I love Bevy. She makes me so happy. When we finished that call, we literally had a 15-minute conversation about my plans for Ghana. And so I was like, oh, yeah, I'm planning to do this and this and this. And, like, I, had a, I have a whole plan. Like, you know, I'm going to move to another continent, and this is my plan. And Bevy was like, hmm, why don't we do this, 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 and this instead? And I was like, oh, I never thought about that. And she's like, yes, that's, that's much easier. That makes more sense, I think. And I'm like, I, yeah, it, it does, yeah. I would tell you what it is, but I need to, like, figure out how to execute it first. And she was like, yeah, so when you go to Ghana, you know, take some time to think about the things that I've said, and we'll talk of the new year. I was like, did you just give me, like, marching orders for my vacation? Indeed she did. Indeed she did. <sighs> if you have not picked up Bebby's book, Bevelations, Lessons from a Mother, Auntie, Bestie, please do. It's an amazing read. If you've got some downtime, Over this holiday season, I hope that you're off. I hope that you're not reporting to the office every day. If you have some downtime, spend it wisely and pick up a copy of Bevy's book. But that's it. That's it for this episode. That's it for this week. That's it for this year. We won't speak again until 2022. So you have an amazing holiday season and an amazing new year. And if you've not picked up your merchandise for Ratchet and Respectable, especially your white and gold. I think the white and gold is really pretty for the new year. Like, I'm obsessed with gold, just in general. That's why I keep putting gold on everything. Like, I just, I like gold. It is what it is. But yeah, if you have not picked up your merch yet, please do. The site is not sold out. Everybody always thinks my site sells out in like a couple days or in a couple hours. It has before, but like, I actually got like the right amount of merch this time. And that's not everything. But it's everything I got for this year. So we'll talk again in 2022. Have an amazing holiday season. Happy New Year. Okay, bye.